You're listening to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is episode number 25, airing on February 20th, 2012. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Welcome to Coaching Skills for Leaders. This is the show for leaders who want to develop their coaching skills so they can help others achieve their maximum potential. Whether you're a seasoned leader or you're leading people for the first time, improving your coaching skills will drive your success and most importantly, the success of others. This week's topic is what search dogs can teach you about engagement. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coaching Skills for Leaders. My name is Dave Stahoviak, and I am coming to you from our studio here in Orange County, California. And yes, I did say search dogs, and I will explain in a minute why I'm talking about search dogs today and a little bit more about our guests. But before jumping into that, if you like leading people through intimidation, fear, and micromanagement, this is not your show. Stop listening to this show right now because that's not what we're about. This show is the show that's about helping people to help themselves and you achieve their maximum potential. And so if that's something you're interested in doing as a leader in using coaching skills to better your organization, to better others, and ultimately to help you to lead more effectively, then stick right here because this episode is going to be the continuation of our series on engagement, how to keep people connected and motivated with their work. And we are going to look into the world of search dogs today and how that connects with engagement. More importantly for us, what we can learn from how a search dog organization works in engaging people. Now, as you're listening today, you may have some comments or questions for this show, either on this topic specifically, on engagement as a whole, or you may just have a general question about leadership and coaching people. And you can send questions, comments, or feedback to me anytime. And that number to do that, you can call in feedback to our feedback line, community feedback line, that is 949-38-LEARN. Or you can email feedback to feedback at innovatelearning.com. And and a third way this week that we've just brought online is Skype. So you can also Skype feedback to us. Uh, There's a voicemail we have there for feedback. And our Skype name is Innovate Learning, all one word. And that's, of course, on the show notes as well, which is at innovatelearning.com. Now, if you didn't listen to last week's episode, which was episode number 24, we had done a quick overview of how to engage people using the model presented by Daniel Pink from the book Drive. And so we discussed the three principles of autonomy, mastery, and purpose in last week's episode. I'm not going to go through and review those again here today since we did a thorough uh, review of them last time. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you may want to go back and listen to that one first. Um, But if you haven't listened, feel free to continue here too, because today we're going to take a look at, okay, now let's take the theory that we looked at last week and let's look at practical application and how does that connect with what organizations actually do. 
And I am thrilled to welcome someone today who is uh, not only someone I have a tremendous respect for as a leader, but is someone who's very near and dear to my heart, and you will hear why in just a moment here. And the person I'm welcoming is the president and CEO of Southwest Search Dogs, and her name is Jan Frizee. And I'm actually not going to set up this interview very much. I'm going to just jump right in uh, and let her uh, tell you more about uh, the organization. I did sit sit down with her uh, just a little bit ago and talked about Southwest Search Dogs. And as you're listening to this interview, listen for how she and her organization tap into autonomy in helping people to have autonomy in their work with Southwest Search Dogs, how they uh, tap into mastery, and then the purpose behind what they do. Because I think you'll see some really neat connections on all three of those. So here's my interview with Jan Frizee. I am here with Jan Frizee, who is the president and CEO of Southwest Search Dogs. But my favorite title for her is not that title. It is my California mom because she is the mom of my beautiful wife, Bonnie. And so I am so blessed to get to spend uh, a wonderful amount of time in life with her, but uh, she's not here today in the capacity of being my mother-in-law. She is here in the capacity of her expertise in leading people. I'm so glad that you uh, agreed to join me today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Dave. I'm thrilled to have you. And uh, I have asked Jan to join us on the show today because um, she has been leading a organization called Southwest Search Dogs for a number of years and I have been, since I met you, Jan, fascinated with what you do with Southwest Search Dogs. And so before jumping in and talking about um, what you all have done to engage people, I was wondering if you could just give us a high-level overview of what is Southwest Search Dogs? Well, we are a non-governmental organization, a nonprofit. We provide search dogs to law enforcement or other public service agencies So we search for missing people, um, very often Alzheimer's victims or uh, children with perhaps some situations such as autism. That's the kind of work that we do. How did you get involved in getting started with this? Because this is an organization that uh, you and Jim, your your husband, kind of launched and created. Am I correct? We did. We did. We actually started with a law enforcement agency as direct employees, volunteer employees of that group. And... uh, happened into it, we didn't realize that there was a little niche here for volunteers to do this kind of work. We had always been nuts about dogs, and this for us was another way to do more with them. And we love the out of doors, which is another big component of what we do. But uh, we just happened to hear about an organization that did it. He actually got started before I did, and then a year later, a bloodhound came up for adoption, and we grabbed it and ran, and (laughs) we've both been doing it ever since. Oh, neat. And so... What I'm so fascinated by is you've been, how long now have has have you been running the organization? Uh, this particular organization, about seven years, but we've had a total of okay. about 19 years. I've had gotten about 19 years. Jim's got about 20 years of experience doing search and rescue with dogs. Wow. So what's fascinating to me is that this is all done as volunteer work. And, you know, some people listening may think, oh, well, this is kind of a, a fun hobby. But really, this you are doing very, very serious work for law enforcement. And I know you're, you, Southwest Search Dog is, is, I think, the first, the first call for 
San Diego Police, aren't they? When yes, they have that's a- correct. Uh-huh, right. San Diego Police Department. We also have an agreement with the Chula Vista Police Department, and we've worked for several other law enforcement agencies inside and outside of San Diego County. On average, how many hours a week do you and other members put into the search organization? And a tip- I know there's no typical week, but... Right. Uh, there's no typical week. Um, some people put in maybe... Uh, between four and six hours a week. And then some people put in more. Um, at one point we counted it up and decided it was about a half-time job for me. Um, it depends on where one is in one's life as to how much time you can put in, certainly. And you don't want to become so over-involved with it that it takes over your whole life, but we yeah. do put a lot of time into it. Everyone does. So so this is almost like having a half-time job for, for yes, you. It is for me, right. Exactly. And, and you don't take any salary. You're not paid no. for this. It's entirely been done for through right. through you and Jim and through the members through right. volunteer work for seven, seven years. Right. Now they on. all give their time. And uh, we really don't want or need paid staff. So for us, the, the issue would be is if we can have, we need to be accessible by agencies. They need to be able to reach us quickly. So we have a 24-7 uh, phone line that we man and can rotate around through other members they're willing to take their turns to be called the person that's called in the middle of the night or whenever why uh why not have paid staff um for us there's a um an ongoing little bit of a controversy with search and rescue about uh, wanting to do this as volunteers and wanting to have the expertise of the people that have actually done this in the field running those organizations instead of someone brought in as uh, as an executive director, for example. Hmm. Uh, there have been some problems with charlatans in the search and rescue field who want to come in and tell the family, we will find your loved one and just pay us or, or pay our executive director, and then we will be able to accomplish amazing feats. And so oh, in order to avoid that, we stay completely away from that. And we really don't have a need for a paid staff. Well, I think that's, that's it's so interesting to me that... Um, one of the things when I think of engagement, and this is, of course, what we've been talking about in the show the last couple of weeks, the you have approximately 25 members that are actively involved in the organization. You even have folks who are active members who don't, who no longer live <laughs> in California who are still actively involved. What is it that keeps people so engaged with Southwest Search Dogs? Well, it's kind of an interesting thing because we... I assumed at the start that it was people would be stay engaged because we're going out and we're helping people and we're finding missing people and we're putting the missing child in its mother's arms. Mm -hmm. But what you realize when you become involved and learn more about it and speak with us is that actually that seldom happens uh, for a whole host of reasons. The people that we are looking for are almost always not there. The police department's very good at their job. And Mm -hmm. if all we needed was someone to walk out the door and say, hey, they're right here under this bush and, and grab them up, that would be one thing. But someone needs to look for them. We, we need to go out and cover those areas that are nearby and try to use the dogs that are sent specific to pick up where they went. And we have that little niche, that ability to use those scent specific dogs and to use scent as a clue to determine if there is someone there or if that specific person is there. Hmm. And the motivation for people in the end, there is an altruistic uh, aspect to it, but there's also working with dogs, which is fascinating, the science end of it about how they can do the job that they do. And then the fact that it takes two, it takes a dog and a person to do the job. The dog can't do it by themselves and we can't do it by ourselves. We can only do it as a team that combined with the team supporting one another. So we, 
we just don't want to be at the forefront of getting patted on the heads by families. They're having a big tragedy going on here one way or another, even if the person is located. Very often, this is not a happy occasion. Something mm-hmm. is really terribly wrong. Right. So we don't expect them to come running up to us and tell us how wonderful we are. We know we do this because we love it. But the team comes together, and mm. we congratulate one another for the exciting things that happen and commiserate with one another when it's a bad situation. So that comes to be a huge support network and uh, one of the reasons why we do what we do. It sounds like a tremendous amount of complexity and challenge in every aspect of what you're doing when you go out on a search. It is. It's. It can be very stressful, but if we take it and if we if we hold on to that stress, we've got big problems. So we have to yeah. both be conscious all the time that this is an emergency and we need to be um, competently doing our jobs as quickly as we can. But also we have to be willing to back off, calm down, step away when the time comes that someone else needs to do their job. So people really need to be versatile and they need to be um, willing to roll with the punches. And and you all train an amazing amount of time. I, I know you, most weekends you are either uh, one or two days out doing training and continually working your dogs and the, the dogs of other members and going through certification. In fact, you were mentioning earlier today that you were <laughs> spending this week and going through a certification that you had a particularly challenging situation with one of the dogs today. And right. um, it, it it's incredible how much training and diligence goes into that, um, that work. It's just amazing. Right. It is normal for, for people who work with animals to... Um, they don't need constant repetition every five minutes their whole lives, but they do mm-hmm. need a certain amount of repetition to keep their skills up. But more than that, we need to keep up our ability to watch what they're doing and read what we call their body language. Mm-hmm. If we don't do that for a while and then we go out to take a recertification test, suddenly we realize I'm lost. I don't speak their language anymore. <laughs> I can't do this, you know, whereas they are fine. <laughs> so the the training and recertification is as much for the handler, if not yes. more so than, than is for the dog. Exactly. Oh, interesting. I, I've i had the pleasure of meeting a few of the members of your organization over the years as we've uh, talked and, and met people. And I am just amazed at the diversity in the organization of professions and backgrounds and even animals of <laughs> all the different types of dogs that can do search and rescue. And I I was wondering what, as a leader, you do to try and accommodate all that diversity and to honor that diversity within the organization. Um, You know, truthfully, I don't have to try to accommodate it because it is what meets our needs. And that's not to say that other organizations are wrong. Let's use as an example law enforcement that uses primarily um, German Shepherds. These days they use Malinois a lot for their law enforcement work. Hmm. And they have a prescribed task or several prescribed tasks to do that need specific skills that those particular breeds are very good at. And They also, the training for that is very prescribed, as it should be. Mm -hmm. But for us, we have such a variety of tasks. Sometimes we're doing almost what a therapy dog would be doing. You know, the dog, someone needs to pet a dog right now because they're, they're, you know, we're at a search, their loved one is missing. They want to be able to find one of the dogs that wants petting. Um, Sometimes we are working with a lot of people around and, and we can't have very, very reactive dogs that are going to be. Um, jumping if someone throws a hand at them or something like that. We we look for things that are hidden. We search sometimes for weapons. Uh, We we do just a variety of tasks, including 
potentially some lower level um, disaster work. So we actually need small dogs and big dogs, and we need dogs with various characteristics. So um, we're looking for that all the time, and we're very accepting of it. And how does that play out with the people? Because I know the people are very different too in the backgrounds. I know you have a, a physician in your group and, and uh, folks who do computer programming and volunteer. It's just an amazing, and, and, and folks from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, how does that play into the, uh, just how you accommodate and, and give people autonomy over their, uh, their work and how they contribute to the organization? I think they self-select in a way, really, because if people need a lot of structure, they have to have... You know, they have to know where they fit in a hierarchy and do exactly what they're told. They're very important, but they're in the wrong organization. Mm. So we actually select for people. Common sense comes to mind as something that we need in people, but they need to have a certain amount of independence and ability to think on their own. This is true of search and rescue volunteers in general. Once you get out in the field, there is no one there to tell you minute by minute what to do. And so you, you've got to go into it feeling a little independent, feeling a little comfortable in that slot of to get your job done the way I can't prescribe it for people. They have to be willing to figure out what the job is on their own and be willing to understand that the people around them will be doing you know, the job the way that they best see fit in many instances. So um, if, you're, if you spend time and come out and see what we do, sometimes people can see this is not the place for me. The ones mm. that stay, it really is the place and they do enjoy their work. It's interesting how autonomy plays into being such a strength in that way. I hadn't yes. thought about that. And I was thinking right. about, um, I know you've listened to our previous show with some of the work that Daniel Pink's done around autonomy and the importance of that and engaging people. And yes. it it sounds like that people really who, who value that are really attracted to the organization because it provides that and that in fact is needed. It is needed and it does attract them. Uh, we get people who perhaps in a, um, like I said, a more of a militaristic structure, which is, is important and we have to fit into that kind of a mold sometimes, but uh, they are very happy because they have that freedom to choose. This is the best way for me to train my dog. If I if my dog passes the tests and stuff like that, then that's what matters. Not that I did what you told me to about it, you know? Yeah, so yeah. we appreciate that kind of autonomy that they have and we reward it by, they get to come out and play, you know, that's that's the deal. Why is Southwest Search Dogs important to you? Um, it's important to me. Uh, I've discovered over the years what a huge passion I have for working with dogs. And this is work with dogs. This isn't fun, even though there are a lot of fun things that we've done in the past and, and will do again in the future. But we're actually contributing. There's this little niche for um, with lack of funding in many instances these days for public service agencies. They can't mm-hmm. afford to keep some of these dogs sitting around on their payroll, as it were, waiting for incidents. So um, I really enjoy partly the working with the dogs and then the puzzle aspect of someone is missing. Where can they be? How can we contribute? What, what do we have to do to do our part? You've had so many years of leading people who are doing volunteer work and being engaged with this in a very in, a, in an amazing capacity. What advice would you have for other leaders, particularly people who are leading volunteers or leading people that are, you know, in nonprofit work or maybe not getting paid at all or not getting paid well for their work? That's a really tough question. Um, I don't know what how much advice I have for them. The thing for me was that I am surrounded by fantastic people. So I don't know how you can make that happen for you. Uh, Maybe for us, we're still learning about 
communicating with people what it is that we actually do and what really happens out there. Mm. So, so maybe that's part of it. The more you can be realistic with people about what the actual job is, the more likely you are to attract the people you want. And when you do, the easier your job gets. Hmm. Who's, you know, this is a program, of course, about coaching and leading people well. And so before I let you go, I'm curious, who's someone that's been a great coach or leader or mentor to you? And what is it that they did that helped you to learn and to grow? Um, I've had a couple of excellent mentors. One of them didn't have anything to do with search and rescue. Her name is Chris Nugent, and she's an artist. I don't know if she will ever hear this broadcast, but I worked for her as a teaching assistant at the art department at Miracosta College. And the amazing thing about her was she took the, um, I've I've heard this adage before, um, you know, you're you're looking for the things that people are doing right, and you want to catch them at doing it the right things. You also want to give people information about what they might be need more work on. Mm. But she taught me to draw, and I mean, I couldn't do anything, but she did it by finding the things that I was doing right along the way and rewarding me by telling me about those, and mm. then a suggestion here or there. So that has been a huge influence the rest of my life, learning how to do that exact thing. At first, it was really hard, but now I've gotten a lot better at it. I know when I see what people are doing right. And if you don't tell them, they throw the whole thing out and they don't do anything that they've done before. But that's mm. that was one huge thing. What a neat lesson. It was a great lesson, a uh. great lesson for life. And then the other one was uh, Sue Williams, who is my friend and was also one of the founders of Southwest Search Dogs. And uh, as a leader, her one of her goals was to allow people to do it their way as much as they could. You know, she would, she would support people in here's the standard, here's what you have to meet. So there's no prescribed way that you have to meet that. How can you meet it better? How can we together work as a group to meet the standards that we need to meet? Uh, She was just a very accepting person, still is an accepting person, but doesn't Mm. live in the area anymore. So a huge influence. For folks who are uh, local who listen to the show uh, and may want to look into Southwest Search Dogs, what's the best way for folks to connect with your organization or just to learn a little bit more about uh, what Southwest Search Dogs does? They can check us out on the web. Uh, It's www.swsdogs.org, or you can spell it all the way out, southwestsearchdogs.org. And uh, we have a presence on the web. Our standards are available available for viewing and so on. They can also contact us at info at southwestsearchdogs.org. Jan Frizee is the CEO and president of Southwest Search Dogs and even more importantly to me, my California mom. (laughs) What a sweet guy you are, Dave. (laughs) I'm so glad that you joined me today. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. So Jan is the coolest mother-in-law in in the world, and I just love listening to her and talking with her about her work with Southwest Search Dogs. And, uh, you know, she's just a wonderful person for, for me to have in my life. So I'm so blessed to Uh, be connected with her in the world. And uh, there's three things that I think uh, really I'd like to go back and highlight from this conversation. And the the first of them is the connection, and you probably noticed this in our conversation on autonomy. And we talked about autonomy in the last episode of the, not independence of telling people they can do whatever they want, but to give people ownership of being able to, um, you know, have their own ownership over what they do. And you saw that with Southwest Search Dogs, that autonomy is not only a nice to have, it's a necessity for what they do. Uh, People have to 
have autonomy in order to serve the organization well, in order to provide value when they go out on searches. So I thought that was an interesting application of what Daniel Pink talks about in his book. And the second thing that Jan mentioned was that I think it was a very interesting that the complexity and challenge of what they do is a big motivator for the team. And that goes right back to what we talked about last week of the value and the motivation of people working together to be able to master something and to work through that challenge. And you saw it and heard a number of examples of her speaking to that. And then finally, I loved what she said about her art teacher uh, at the end there and how her art teacher was a wonderful leader and coach to her because she was able to reinforce the good things that she was doing and to gently point out things that she could change. And through that, was be was able to not only help her to learn how to draw, but to learn a wonderful lesson of being able to be a good finder with people. And I, I think that's just a tremendous example of how you don't need to be a Fortune 500 CEO to be a leader. You can lead people to greatness teaching art and a million other things. And so if you're able to take the time to invest in people and coach them, you can do some wonderful things in the world that might not even have anything to do with your area of expertise. But if you're able to take the time to invest in people that you can lead them to greatness. And she's, and Jan is just a wonderful example of that. And I plan to have her back because there's so much we can learn as leaders from search dogs. I have just been amazed over the years of the work they do and the training and behavioral work with the dogs. And so I hope to have her back and uh, and be able to give even some more perspective on things we can learn on how to work with people and some of the some similar principles. And now this is the point in the show where I usually jump in and c- do some community feedback and uh, respond to some of the comments and questions that have come in. I actually do have a couple of emails uh, waiting here from David and Mark that I haven't had a chance to respond to yet. So I'm going to be getting back to both of them here in the next day or so. But I wanted to just take a moment here in uh, and rather than going through and responding to some individual messages is this week just to take some time to recognize uh, folks who have started to become a part of this community for this show, who've either sent in feedback or helped promote this show to others out there. So I just want to take a a moment here to recognize and thank Fazilla in Canada, Sandrine in Mexico, Charlie in the UK, Francis in Texas, Kindred in Lake Tahoe, Diego in Brazil, Stefan in Germany, Hannah in Singapore, Yuria in Japan, David in New England, Mark also in Texas, a huge thank you to you uh, and and many more who have uh, connected with me as well. Without you, it's just me and the guests I bring in talking into a microphone or sometimes just me myself talking into a microphone. But the community you've started to create connects right back to my purpose for why I do this show. And so speaking of purpose, that's one of the things that is important to me that I can provide value to you and that the community that this show has started to create that we all can provide value to each other and helping us lead more effectively. And so I look forward to continuing to interact with you and chatting with you over email and voicemail and on the phone and looking for ways that we can all continue to support each other in being the best leaders possible. The link for the show notes is going to be on our website as always, and that's at innovatelearning.com. Not innovative learning. That's another website, innovatelearning.com. 
Hey, this is episode number 25. You can find the show notes there and also the link to Southwest Search Dogs. If you or your organization wants to improve the coaching skills of its leaders, let us know. We might be able to help. You can reach me anytime at 949-38-LEARN. Or of course, you can send email feedback to feedback at innovatelearning.com. And as I mentioned, you can also Skype us to Innovate Learning. I'm so grateful you took the time to tune into this episode today. If this is your first time listening, we hope to have you back next week, next Monday, and just like uh, every Monday this show airs. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week out there leading others. Take care, everybody.